0: I'm co host James Ash. And I'm co host Phil Scave. Welcome to the business lockdown. Welcome to today's episode the round table. I am joined once again. Uh, we are all joined once again. We're joining forces from uh, from losers and winners in life which we'll be exploring over today's episode. Uh, we are covering Netflix special Losers today. So here is the trailer.
1: Mm, That's not a good thing. He may have
2: She was not expected to actually win the race.
3: It's all about winning. Winning, 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 winning. Anybody who goes to a football match expecting to win is an idiot, I think. Oh, oh, my dear. He's 100% in his career. Loser. He muttered to me, if you'll excuse my English, shit, I've lost it illusion is a habit and you get that mindset then you think you're never going to win a game again i said that's it i'm done with basketball
2: i've said it to him many times you're the biggest wasted talent
3: i've ever seen i had never encountered that kind of darkness before but i knew i have something to prove
2: if you're fourth it's like what would have could have should have that would probably haunt me i'm sure
3: it haunts her no, he, missed him. he was distraught. He was just saying, I'm never going to curl again.
1: Things happen for a reason, you know? And now, which part of yourself is going to come out? Who are you really? What are you made of? You're not going to be a good loser. You're not going to be a good winner either.
4: Many days you feel like crying, but winning is not the most important thing in life.
3: getting knocked out was the best thing that ever happened to me there have been more downs
2: than ups but in a way that makes the ups feel all the better
0: so in a winning is everything society? How do we handle failure? The series profiles athletes who have turned the agony of defeat into human triumph. Uh, and one thing I love that, that I thought was awesome to introduce, which was the very on, on the final episode, uh, and the guy said, A society cannot make do with only talking about victory. We always say that we learn more from defeat than from victory. So if we learn from defeat, we should pay a bit more attention to those who lose. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. How are we all doing? Very good. Yeah, very good James. Fantastic, awesome, James. How are you? Yeah, very good. I'm 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 uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited about this. It's we featured uh, where we did the round uh, table episode last time and it was it was focusing on some of the world's best coaches, uh, which is kind of plays into this perfectly really where uh, we look at defeat and loss, and some people who uh, have had uh, some people and teams who have had uh, some very bad luck along the way. Um, but something I want to, to kind of like really explore today is uh, is the kind of concept that you can you can learn more. Um, you, there can be more positives from defeat than there can be from victory, and I think that I'm, I'm really excited to be picking some examples from you all personally and professionally. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to uh, introduce yourselves, do a round robin, who you are, where you come from, and um, and then we will crack on, gentlemen.
4: Yeah, hi there, James. Thanks uh, <laughs> thanks for welcoming us. Uh, obviously, I, I'm Phil. I'm the co-host of the Business Lockdown with your good self, and uh, yeah, ple- pleased to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm Jonathan. Um, I'm le- doing the business lockdown with you, uh, James and Phil. I'm looking forward to discussing this with with the two Deans. It's going to be really interesting.
2: Yeah, my name's Dean, and uh, I just want to thank you guys because I I got to lie on the couch watching this series and telling the wife that I was working. So uh, I loved it. So thank you very much.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm Dean, and I I can only echo the other Dean. Like, you know, what a fantastic (laughs) series, and thank you for getting me involved in it. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion.
0: Awesome. And I can certainly echo that. I will, from a personal point, have literally just had 11 puppies in the past 24 hours. And the fact that I could lay on the couch with little puppies feeding them and doing work uh, this was the perfect uh, perfect form of work. So thank you guys, and I can certainly echo um, what you've said there, Dean. Well, we'll just run quickly through the eight episodes and what they uh, what they essentially cover. The first one is Michael Bent, and uh, that uh, you're a, a, a former boxing champion. Uh, episode two, the Jaws of Victory, uh, and that's looking at English English Soccer Club Torquay United, which we all. Felt was an interesting one to throw into the series. Uh, number 3 is judgment and that's Surya Banali who uh was a dazzling figure figure skater. Um and in a mostly white sport and made it tough to be fairly judged on the world stage. Uh number 4 was stone cold an un- unbelievable loss in the 1985 Canadian championship and that was Pat Ryan. Um and he uh, yeah he was dominant in strategy that changed the sport forever. Um we've got uh number five was lost in the desert that was intense that was an intense one i'm looking forward to talking about that one which was essentially yeah olympian Maro posperi from sicily in italy uh yeah it was the moroccan desert the arguably the hardest uh, uh foot running uh, race in the, in the world uh and he he got lost and yeah there's there's some interesting tales from from that episode number six uh was uh ali Zirkel and um a sled dog musher. that was very interesting as well and like a lot of these just getting a bit of insight into a very different sport and culture along with the concept of loss and and uh and just missing out on victory and that was a that was a very interesting episode number seven black jack uh, and that was uh yeah playground hoops legend jack Ryan's shot at a pro career uh, and that was very interesting in terms of he had all of the talent um, and all of this the skill and he just didn't he just didn't apply that in the right way or wasn't able to apply that in the right way to uh, to become a pro and then we finished a uh, number 8 uh episode 8 was, the, was called the 72nd hole golfer jean van de veld a french guy who became france's number one golfer who it, when it all fell down on the last uh, in the what is it the when the um british championship the the 1990 open championship that was, uh, that was tough to finish up with, to watch, watch his demise. But, you know, looking at all of those gentlemen, I mean, when we, we, we had the round table and, uh, and we were exploring some of the world's best coaches, um, there was a, the, I would suggest there was a little bit more of a, a, running, a, a consistent running theme and then how these coaches worked the, their way into that. I felt this series took you on a on a great more varied journey um would be interesting to hear your points of view on that and, and with that in mind it's almost very for me different where do we begin on this because it there's so much we can go at we are limited to 60 minutes i mean i've already talked too much so we've we've not got 60 minutes anymore <laughs> but i mean who wants to start us off let's I'm, I'm i'm curious i think the question the first question i've had in mind when i've thought about starting this was what's the episode that that really hit you the most and that can that can that you can answer that in whatever way you choose it, 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 what what hit you the most what stood out and, and why uh, and i'll open the floor to that one um well i do don't want
1: me to start james absolutely the one yeah, that hit yeah, me the most actually in fact the one i enjoyed the most was stones i think because that was uh, an insight to a sport which basically was like a to be honest it was like a pub sport wasn't it so they do all beer drinking, camaraderie, smoking, (laughs) even (laughs) the ashtrays on the ice. I mean, it was quite unbelievable. And then this guy comes along and says, I'm I'm not going to do it like that. And he had four rules that everybody, was it four or five rules that everybody had to apply to? You know, no drinking, no smoking, no no sex, bed early, and really absolutely laser-guided focus about one thing is winning. And they devised a a plan to actually just dominate dominate the sport and that's absolutely what they did and they dominated it so much that the crowd turned on them because it was boring what they were doing but they were winning they could not stop winning and eventually the sport actually had to change the rules to make it more exciting um, and they but they carried on winning so I mean that was one of the most amazing story that um, yeah so that that's my that's my vote
0: yeah, they brought in the, fr- fr- uh, the free guard zone, which essentially made their style of play illegal. That's I mean, right. there's no getting around it. It made their style of play illegal. So you're like, right, OK. And the fact they came back the following year and won it anyway under the new rule. Yeah, it's
1: rate. like saying, you know, like a team that's really good at heading the ball from corners saying, well, we're actually we're not going to do corners anymore because you're too good at them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was uh, to... to for someone and I didn't. Didn't you love it when they were stood there and everyone was shouting, "Boring!" Yeah, and they they loved it. Yeah. They felt if that if that amount of people have an issue with you, you know that that was the ultimate.
1: They knew for them. That, Well,
0: for them, they they knew they'd won, didn't they? They from from yeah. Perspective. I did. I did have an. And the, the one of the rules, no sex. And you think, well, what's the point of in getting involved in curling? I mean, surely that's what it's, it's all about, right? Is uh, <laughs> you know, being a curling champion. I thought, well, that's... Oh, I, I, was, I, was a, I, I, I was looking at that and I was thinking, yeah, I, c- I could really get into this sport. And then the last week, like, ah, oh, what's the point in my life? So, have yeah, <laughs> being a professional curling athlete, but that was that was certainly interesting. Phil, so, what was yours? How was uh, whole- well,
4: so for me, um, I'm going in a slightly different direction. The, um, the basketball story about um, Blackjack What I liked in there was the fact that his success uh, where he appeared to be the happiest man on the planet wasn't based on a world title or on money. It was, it was based on playing, entertaining, entertaining kids for the wizards. And, and so, I mean, he threw away all those opportunities either consciously or subconsciously for the monetary glory. And then he found I thought he was the one that found his true success that really seemed to resonate with him in front of, not in front of you know gold medals and millions of fans, literally just in, in front of kids and just putting smiles on their faces. And that, that, that end to that felt really, really genuine and different to, to the other episodes that were, that were about, some of them were about obviously a sporting defeat and then further sporting glory. So yeah, I, I like I, I that was I think that was the one I got the most from um, blackjack.
2: That's the one I agree with you as well, Phil, because it's completely different. Um, you're looking at completely different end of the spectrum. So you're talking about somebody in the first one that is completely dedicated, that Jonathan mentioned, and then you're talking to somebody who who changed the rules because of their dedication and because they was so dedicated to their craft, they they just saw winning, and that's what they wanted to do when they they give up their whole life to do it and then you've got black jack jack ryan all he wants to do is go out get drunk he, he turns up to practice drunk and so that was the most impactful for me because it just it just shows what you can achieve on one end of the spectrum if you really set your mind to it and then on the other end of the spectrum even though you've got all the talent in the world one of the best basketball players there is and you don't end up doing anything with it. Subconsciously or consciously, he definitely sabotaged himself. And at the end, it was so nice to see that he looks a brilliant dad to his to his daughter. And he genuinely looks so happy. And I just, all the way through that, that episode, I just, I just felt so sorry for him because I wondered where the ending, I'd never heard of him before. Mm. I wondered where the ending was going to be. And I was so happy that he found his happy place. And it wasn't what we would call happy in terms of normal success, the barriers that, and the bars that we all set. Um, but he found it, his happiness, somewhere completely different. And that for me was,
1: it was a really impactful episode. Interestingly mm. enough, Dean, just what you just said there, I think that he, he was happy pressing that self-destruction button and also, same with Michael Bent. He never wanted to be a boxer. He just happened to be in that place, and he, and by, by, by almost like by pure chance, he was that good at it. Became the world champion, but he just didn't want to be there. So yeah, he, yeah. as soon as he could get out of it, he, he
2: did. That that was really impactful for me when um, when Bent got knocked down in the first title defense uh, by Hyde. And when he's when he found out, his dad his dad said let him die when he was when he was yeah. in a coma or in hospital. Yeah. I thought, holy moly, that, that just tells you what sort of different life he has had to to myself or most other people, where it's unconditional love, and he hasn't had that growing
1: up at all. And Saint Blackjard had the same, had yes. the same father, didn't
0: he? Yeah, same yes. type of father, yeah. We're clearly and, not the same, father. <laughs> yeah, and there's a, there's a well, there's a gr- and there's a great saying that the, that Michael Bent said, and we'll we'll focus more on this as as we uh, as we move through the episode. But uh, he said that the knockout was the best thing that ever happened to him. Otherwise, he would still be playing the role of the boxer and wearing a mask and uh, being someone he wasn't. And essentially, that's uh, that that was a, the that was really strong when he said that and that impactful. And the journey that that followed that that, that was his right path, but he didn't actually know it, did he? At, at the time. Um, but if it wasn't for that loss, if it, if it wasn't for that feeling and, the, and that, uh, I guess, at the time, what many would see as, as a really unfortunate, as, as something that wasn't planned, he would have wanted victory. He ends up being in a, in a Hollywood movie with Will Smith in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the movie Ali and, uh, and then had a part to play in, uh, in Million Dollar Baby with Clint Eastwood. And it's incredible, isn't it, the, the path that, that someone can take after they suffer such such a loss there. Uh, Dean Groomshaw, what was yours? Yeah, mine's slightly different. And the
3: one that got me was Surya Benali and the figure skating competition, because for a start, it was a sport that I didn't know anything about. I'd never really been exposed to and never really followed. Um, And her story just really gripped me because, you know, we talk about losers as, you know, throwing it away and not quite making the grade, but she kind of did everything right. She was dedicated. She sacrificed. She was extremely hardworking. And she literally did. She committed everything to her craft, but it was just never enough. And there was the whole controversial story, you know, about, you know, about background and, and was she the right person for the sport, blah, blah, blah. And it's funny how you mentioned with Michael Bent and uh, Blackjack, how they kind of, they kind of create their own failure, possibly through, you know, their own paradigms and they didn't fit into that world. Mm-hmm. And that was when I, I I was kind of getting quite distressed following Surya's story, especially that point where she didn't get on the podium, and as I was watching it I could feel her pain, and I was kind of torn whether she was doing the right or wrong thing but I could could just so understand what she was going through because she'd literally done everything in her heart and in her mind, she was the best but Mm -hmm. she just still never ever got that accolade, and I think what was amazing at the end was when um, she turned pro and she realised, well the shackles are off, I could just be me and The skater and and the dream within her never ever ever lost its fire through all of the losses all the hardships all of the brick walls that she was smashing herself into she never ever lost the passion for what she really really loved and as soon as she could actually just skate as a professional with with no rules no restrictions i I found that a really powerful story yeah i I really really like the
1: i really like the part when she she got to the olympics and she had a routine, and then she just said, sod it. And she, she's the only other person who's done the, f- the forward flip. And yeah. she lands it and again and again and again. And, of course, it's illegal. So she was marked down, and she ended up becoming 12th. But, of course, well, I think It was almost like
3: the proverbial two fingers, wasn't it? was yeah, had- exactly. Yeah. She was it staying injured. Like, she had a real bad uh, was it Achilles injury. Achilles, so she yeah. was really comfortable on the ice. And then it got to the point, she goes, do you know what, I'm going to do it. And as she did it, she knew straight away she was going to get disqualified. But I think at that point, she kind of accepted that the sport just couldn't contain her, didn't have a place for yeah, her. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, so she was like, well, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, I like that.
4: On, on the other episodes, the, the people lose to either a, an opponent that's better than them or to themselves. But in that episode, she more or less loses to society, doesn't she? You, you don't feel like she's been beaten by a better skater. It, yeah. feels, it feels like society and the culture that's in ice skating is what she's lost to, which is... which is a, and, and I suppose you've got to frame that differently to how you frame losing to an opponent
3: or losing to yourself, I guess. That was it. It's almost like the only way she could win was to sort of give up a part of herself and just conform. And then that would have been losing in itself. In her own heart, which is why it was such a powerful story, because it's exactly what you said. Like in the other episodes, someone came short, or they didn't give enough, or or something went against them. But in this story, there wasn't really anything more she could do, and mm. that was why I felt not it on the internet.
1: Well, well, not on the international stage, but she was the European Championship, wasn't she? And she was the French champion, champion over mm-hmm. and over and over and over again. So yeah. she did it regionally and sort of like, but just not on the national, on the uh, the world stage. Yeah.
2: When she came second then, do you guys think she was a bad loser then or not when she refused to go on the podium? She oh took great a question. One. Great yeah. question, mate,
0: because it, it's my it was uh, like, it was my favorite episode or most impactful. And I think we've we've pretty much said a number of things, but I just thought, um, you know, she was it was a sport of judgment, but judged in, in, in more ways than one. And it wasn't like, you know, she was a, a black athlete. Um, you know, new into uh, a a football that was predominantly white and you score a goal and 99% if you score a goal, you score, it's a goal, right? Yes, there can be at times if it's crossed the line or not, but, you know, you're against a panel of judges, aren't you? Yeah. And I just thought she was breaking the mould in so many ways, not only because she was a black athlete, not only because she was a world-class, you know, she was a world champion at gymnastics and brought that in, which was unique, but then she's been judged You know, it's not it's not black and white, is it? It's uh, and and I just thought that that was uh, that was incredible. Uh, And and they are putting the finger up and doing the backflip at the end. But I great question, Dean, because I was going to come to that. And I felt when she did that, I was so proud of her. I felt I felt really proud that she did that. But we are watching and we are kind of we've got hindsight and the the gift of time. I wonder how that would have been different watching it at the time. Yeah, I think all of the background.
1: Definitely at the time, I think that would have gone down badly. And I don't think she should have done it personally. I don't think that added anything to her uh, persona because she could still have done anything what, what she wanted. Um, and if that's how it was, then that's how it was. And she couldn't do anything about it. And she should have t- taken the podium. And Because I mean, not all of the people were saying, well, she did all of this and she shouldn't be marked down like that. Everybody knew, I guess, at the time why she was getting marked down and she wasn't, didn't get the gold.
2: That's a problem. Um, it's
1: subjective, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah.
2: it's, it's very subjective because you've got judges, like you say, if it crosses the line, it's a goal. If it doesn't, it, it doesn't. The problem is with the program, but obviously I don't know ice skating at all. And so I don't know if the narrative is correct, that they was leading you to believe that she was the best in the world and, and she was so far ahead and shoulders with everybody else. If that was true, then maybe she might have a point doing what she did. But I, I just can't honestly comment because I don't know if the – narrative is true and, and the judges was incorrect or the spinning it a different way for the for the program so i I've, I've i've literally thought about this i paused it thought about it, and i kept writing different lines saying i honestly don't know i don't know i really don't know and I, I genuinely don't know if she's right or
1: wrong to do it
3: yeah i'm in the same place i think if you ask me on a different day of the week i'll give you a different answer
1: yeah but, i mean we don't get all trump about it do we you know yeah, he, he didn't the result it,
3: think it was right you know, like it, it does come across very unsporting and all that sort of thing. But because I'd followed the episode and I'd really absorbed myself in her story and her passion, I couldn't help feeling for her. I couldn't yeah. help feeling like she was literally inside a system which didn't appreciate her. And therefore, there was a part of me that probably wanted to do the same, but maybe did wouldn't be as brave as her to actually do it. <laughs> um so I, I kind of was very proud of her as well. But at the same time was it right? Was it wrong? I, I think if depending what day you ask me, I get a different answer, but I definitely could understand it.
2: Yeah. There's another great question. What is success? Or oh, another great quote, what is success? Is it in the moment or the
0: longevity? And I was like,
2: Oh, that is.
0: Good. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. Well, I think, and I think Dean's you, you bring out something there is, um, is the fact that, yeah, but we we don't know if she deserved to win it on that that particular um, contest, and it and it came that it was so close, wasn't it, between the two of them? Was it a South South Korean athlete and and her, and it was so close, and it might have been that she, yes, she it was valid that she just missed out on that, but uh, I think what yeah, what you're also saying, Dean Grimshaw, there is that it was against the whole concept and the whole figure skating culture, and over time. It just she was fighting against that, and it was the whole kind of political system within that sport. And I think that's probably what came out in that moment, and why she why she responded in the way she did. That maybe wasn't because if you once you saw after and all the microphones were coming up to her, and they were all asking really direct questions about that moment. And and I think I've just it just clicked. She 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 struggled to answer them, and I wonder if the reasons why she struggled was because it wasn't about that moment for her. It was just this overwhelming feeling over time, and I think that's maybe where where that that was at play, really, because yeah they were they were focused on that very one moment, whereas yeah, I think for her it was just like right this is it i've I've, I've done as much as I can and um I've had enough, but yeah incredible story guys i am I'm, I'm gonna jump straight into episode five, um you know the lost in the desert, what like, eat right so. <laughs> so where do we start on this one? Because it wasn't like, you, you knew what was coming, right? You knew what was coming. It's like, right. There's this guy who's going with his mates and running in, in the toughest, uh, the toughest race in the world, in the desert. And the first, wasn't the first day an easy 18, km, 18 mile. The first day was like an easy 18 mile. And, uh, and they said, "Oh, it's, it's quite a it's it's a nice starter." Day two, fifty odd miles, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And up, up sand dunes and stuff like that, and um, and then you knew where it was going, right? You knew that he was going to be lost in somewhere. And um, I mean, where do we like? He, he ended up having he got lost. He was literally tearing the heads off bats and eating bats innards and drinking his own urine, and he was lost for, he walked for nine days without um, without seeing anybody, ended up, was it Algeria that he Algeria. ended up? Algeria. He turned ended right up. and he
1: should have turned left.
0: Ended ended up in, uh, I'm sure, yeah. I, mean, I wonder how many people see him and sit and tell him that. You know, you should have turned left and <laughs> you should have turned right. <laughs> um, but... I mean, how did that episode? Uh, you know, where did that hit with you guys? Because that was tough, right? I mean, it was almost one of those that you couldn't help but put yourself in that position. Um, like we like we were talking about figure skating. You know, you could really feel for, but I, yeah, I couldn't put my I, I couldn't put myself in that, that position in that sport. But with uh, with maro you can't. Like for me, I couldn't help but visualize myself in the desert dehydrated, no hope and every like little glimmer of hope he had there'd be a sandstorm and then there'd be a plane come over and a sandstorm and hit and they wouldn't see him and uh, he burnt his sleeping bag and what he had to make to create smoke and then another sandstorm hit and it was just one thing after another how do you think you would fare in that in that situation gentlemen terrible C- can-,
2: can you imagine though just just picture him he's walking in the desert he's lost he's tired he- he's he's' absolutely in, and the crows started to follow you i mean that just symbolizes death doesn't it you straight away you're thinking oh no I'm, I'm in trouble here i think it's absolutely petrifying the only saving grace for me was that during this whole story he was narrating it so i i, I was okay because i knew it was going to be all right
1: i mean let's face it um i mean i've got a mate who did the Marathon and uh, is the is the hardest one i mean it's just ridiculous I and mean, you've got to be a special type of person to even contemplate taking it on but that that story there i mean he he stood 1% chance of surviving that i mean let's be clear about it he shouldn't he should not have survived it i mean dehydrated in the in the desert what did he lose 30 pounds yeah 30 um, pounds i mean he shouldn't have survived because he was an athlete maybe that's why he did but the chance of getting found the chances of surviving, everything was against him.
0: Well, uh, let's not forget he slit his wrist. And he, yeah, and he, tried, wrist. To,
1: he tried to end it, yeah. And he woke so he knew up and his he- His chances of surviving were, were nil, were virtually nil. I mean, I say one in 1%, and probably less
0: than that, in all honesty. Well, his point was he didn't want to suffer. It wasn't It wasn't at yeah. that point that he was gonna die, it was that he just, he didn't want to suffer. Man so is not afraid of
2: dying, man is afraid of suffering. That was his quote, <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh, he'd realised he'd
1: made peace with himself, to be honest, and um, and that was that. You know, he he didn't panic. I think he panicked to start off with, but then he stopped panicking, didn't he? I think. But the, the strangest thing is, is he he comes back and then he just can't get enough of it. He just went back and did it again and again and again. And you think there's something wrong with that guy.
0: Well, that was the thing. He ran it six more times, never finishing higher than 12. Yeah. And uh, and his wife called it being married to Indiana Jones, who always seemed uh, who always uh, like seemed adventure. Away from uh, no, it was it was be married and jones who always seeked adventure away from their life, whereas she described uh, life to her as the adventure and they were so different. But so you're two different had, worlds. Two different yeah. worlds, and of course they they um they 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 then got divorced. And I, I but despite being divorced, I found it very interesting that she was there talking about their journey and their story as as was he. And um and, and based on it like that, I, I found it curious because when it started was their relationship as a family dynamic. Did he have two or three kids? Two or three kids. Three kids. Three kids. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how he was selfish. And even he said that was a selfish act mm-hmm. and that he he for him to go and run that race. Um, and even though he had all of those problems, yeah, he was then addicted, as you said, and he, he came back. And what, what was your guys thoughts? Um, on on that kind of the the family dynamics and him being selfish and needing to go and do that and then the breakdown of his of his uh family setup as a result. Well,
3: well, I found his his episode the hardest to relate to because I'm you know I'm quite a big family person you know and I I couldn't just turn my back on my family to sort of follow that kind of thing. But we all got our dreams and things. But so I couldn't relate to that and also like you was talking about how treacherous it was in but I never kind of got any of that emotion from the episode. It was all. It was very matter of fact about it. It's like, yeah, on day three, I nearly died. On day four, I thought I was going to die. And I didn't get any real emotion from it. Like, I didn't at any point get any despair from the story. When, when you, if I was to read the story in a book, I think my own mindset would create more emotion. <laughs> like, wow, that is really scary. That is horrendous. But as he was kind of explaining it, it was almost like robotic. And it's like, yeah, it weren't too bad. I, I'd never go with it next year. I was like, have I missed an episode what do you mean you had another go at this next year Like, <laughs> I I really struggled to relate to it in any way shape or form like there was it was a bit devoid of emotion for me
2: I, I, I personally thought he was an incredibly selfish person um I just put a note about being married uh, when you've got kids it's about give and take and sometimes your needs and your desires and wants and dreams they they aren't first and foremost anymore it's your kids that's the most important thing and so for him just to pack up and leave it's I find that interesting. I think I put, he's an interesting guy because I, I'm i like Dean, that I always put my family first no matter what. Um, and so I couldn't ever just take off. I don't even like going away to a conference for two days because I miss I miss my kids. So I, I just couldn't do that for my personal gratification and my personal goals. And I get that we all need a little bit of alone time, me time. I get all that. But he just strikes me as somebody it was a square peg in a round hole for being married. It just, it wasn't right for him and his, his mindset and how he thinks about the world and life and goals and ambitions. And so for me,
0: yeah, I actually thought he was, he was quite selfish. Mm -hmm. Very selfish. Yeah. Well, we, we go to episode two and this is the one we've all got, we before we press the record button, we all we all had a few opinions on this, and it's the jaws of victory, uh, and on the verge of relegation and perhaps extinction, in, uh, English football club Torquay United uh, get a final chance at survival thanks to a police dog. Um, yeah, so the the police dog, well, a hero and almost a villain, the police dog Brin um, bite that required seventeen stitches, and anyone that hasn't seen the episode will be like, what on earth is that about? But um. Yeah, interesting, interesting one. What did we make of, of, of this? Because it's a very different episode um, out yeah. of the
4: Yeah, here. I don't think it, when you, after you watch, if you watch them in order and you watch the boxing first and you get a sense of what the series is about and then you watch the second one and you think, oh, I'm confused now. I don't I don't see how how this these all uh, attach together. And I've been thinking about, it. I think the mistake they, they made in the Torquay one is it should actually be about Lincoln. Because I I think it was Lincoln that ended up finishing bottom that season. And so it, and so Lincoln was safe. And then by some dramatic series of events, Torquay won against the odds and knocked them out of the league. And I think if they'd if they'd framed it that way round, it that would is. it would follow it would follow the narrative of the rest of the series closer mm-hmm. because you would you would be looking at at someone like um, Jean van der Velde, someone who is, who's, who's safe, home and dry. And then some freak events take place. And, uh, and, 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 and then it's seen, it's seen as a defeat. Um, And, and if you, I think if you look at it that way, you can see how it then fits in with the, uh, with the rest of the season
3: of, of, uh, of shows. Hmm. I hadn't thought of it that way, but now you put it that way, Phil, I I probably would have to agree because when they're talking through the season, it just seemed abysmal. (laughs) It just seemed, awful like having run a Sunday league team it just made me think about getting up on a Sunday morning <laughs> and, and, and getting a pub team together that's how it kind of felt and yeah. then at the end of it they got a lucky goal in the 11th hour and it all worked out okay in the end and, it, and, it, and it's like I, I it didn't the it, 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 it wasn't you know I didn't have the same sort of drama from the other series
4: <laughs> no I mean you imagine being a Lincoln City fan at 88 minutes 90 minutes on the Saturday afternoon you're listening to the radio. And you're still playing in the same division next season, and and your match is finished, and you're all having a pint, but there's still four minutes left down at Torquay. I mean, that's that's a proper crush, that isn't it?
1: Being there, uh, done it. So I, think, I mean, obviously, being a whole City fan, I've basically suffered like this for four <laughs> years, <laughs> and it's the same. It's funny enough, I mean, because they were talking as though it's like the biggest. Victory ever, and it, it feels, sometimes it feels like that when you're down the bottom of the table, the whole city would like eight, nine points adrift at the bottom of the league, two, uh, the fourth division, and we were about to go out of the of the division, unheard um, and, and of, and then it was the great escape, you know, and, and just like a, a nil-nil felt like a ten-nil victory, you know, it was the, the weirdest, weirdest sensation. But I totally agree. I mean, it just it was the one story that just didn't fit. And then of course, the comedy value of the police dog biting the striker was just hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> and it made it out that the police dog saved the club and things like that. So it was all a big spin really wasn't it, at the end of the day, but it was very entertaining.
2: Yeah, that, that's what I put down. I put, um, the players are just all nuts. I thought, especially the goalkeeper, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's absolutely mad. Um, an enjoyable story, but I didn't get anything out of it. My biggest mm. takeaway was the police man who owned the dog, them two actually retired together. They went on long walks together. And when the dog was ill and died, he still got his ashes in the house. And I I actually got choked up by that. I thought, there, there's mm. my biggest takeaway. There's my story. Yeah. The... Uh, yeah, and- uh,
4: the oh, scene sorry, with, the, but- with, the, with the minibus traveling like 200-odd miles up the country <laughs> and all the legs sticking out, <laughs> sticking out of
1: it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you just can't make it... I think that actually the story, the, the, the one part of the story that qualified them to go into it is that Torquay have always been this club that has been staring the abyss yeah. for forever. You know, it's never actually climbed anywhere, never done anything. It's always gone from... Um, lurch from disaster to disaster to disaster. So it's never done anything. I think that was probably why it was picked.
0: Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yes, certainly for like more entertainment value for sure. And, but I, I wonder, how, as we've we've identified that, I wonder how that works well within the series of eight to strengthen other episodes, you know, to be more emotionally invested. Because, and, and I wonder if if it was, a, if we had an American guest looking at the Talkie United story um, that that you know that they're not used to to majority of information. I mean the whole, even when there was the diagram of and he was explaining about if you're the yeah. bottom ones you get relegated and if you're the top you get promoted and all of that. And I, and as soon as he was doing that I was thinking that's for the American market. American. And, uh, yeah, so, that's, that's, so I wonder what I wonder um, uh, what an American's point of view would be on the Talkie United. Um, a story, And don't forget, you know, there's been a recent um, story about Wrexham being taken over by Ryan Reynolds and his Hollywood friend. Uh, they've been bought over. So it's kind of I wonder now is it's maybe a good timing with that in the in the press and the news over in America? Because um, you look at that and you can you can almost smell. The kind like that kind of Sunday football, that 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 lower league football, and the the hard surface and the dust and the non-attractive football. I mean, I'm a Middlesbrough fan, and I, I was watching them, you know, in the Emerson Park days as a as a young lad. And 1986, they nearly went bankrupt and had to play at Hartlepool. And ten years later, we had Brian Robson managing in, in a new stadium with um, world class players. And so yeah, I I, 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 I could. I could resonate with a number of things. It it, it did kind of bring back some, some memories there. But if you don't have that association with that, I wonder from an outsider's point of view, because it was. James, just to, just to jump in there, because actually this
1: actually does tie into something that you mentioned before about you learn more, you sort of like have more enjoyment about stopping the loss. You know, you learn more about yourself. Definitely when you, when you have a loss than you do when you have a win, you don't learn anything about yourself when you have a win. You know it's just a win but when you're losing and actually you turn that you turn that loss into something which is positive that is a greater victory mm-hmm. than winning something that you expect to win if you see what I mean. So, and that's that's football all over and maybe the americans would get that because it's where, when you're sporting a, a a team and you know if you sport liverpool and or man united and they're, they're expected to win all the time at the top of the league It's way more fun supporting someone who's just like struggling to get a victory, haven't scored for seven. I remember supporting Hull City. They didn't score for seven games at home, not one goal. And when they scored, the crowd went ballistic. Yeah. So it's it's that type of thing, isn't it?
0: It did remind me of when we watched the playbook. Was it Jill Ellis, the um, the uh, women's USA soccer oh, USA coach? USA
1: soccer coach, yeah.
0: Yeah, and do you remember her saying that them um, because they were the best and they'd won? It was either the World Cup or the World. Um, and um, they were at the top, and she said, you know, it's 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 short space, it's borrowed time, because then you you know you've got to reset. And um, she said it's almost easier aiming for the people on the top because that's a re- you can really visualise that and head towards that. Um, but when you're at the top, it's forward space and it's a limited time only. And uh, that, that reminded, that yeah, certainly reminded me of, of uh, that when we watched. But um, yeah, talk United, eh? Um, and we, yeah, we can, all, <laughs> we can all resonate with Sunday, Sunday League football. But um, the, well, just what you're saying now, I'm going to, because I was going to go to episode seven and we'll come back to that. But Jonathan, based on what you were saying there is that, and, and I can resonate with golf. I know I've played golf with a number of people who were great golfers. And it and it always seems no matter what level you're at at golf. And I know you play golf, Jonathan. And I'm not sure where the other guys sit on the um, on the golfing spectrum. Um, whether you play or not, I'm sure we can all agree it's it's frustrating. If you've picked up a club once, it's probably as frustrating as picking up a club a thousand times. But I play golf, and it and it seems everyone wants to be always at a, a different level when they play golf. And I I quite enjoy that I can play a bit, and I'm quite happy that I can either be great or not, and I'll just enjoy the process. Where I know people who go around and play on par, and they find it boring. And I am watching them, and they're hitting awesome shots, and they're not happy. They're absolutely, not, they're never happy. It's like that. Yeah, they're not happy. And you're like, what are you doing here? And it's always a, I mean, I. It's funny because with sport, whether it's a team or an individual sport, I always love that battle with yourself. You know, your own standards, and I think that applies. Certainly, with myself and business, you know, you, if you've got your own high standards that you're driving towards, it's almost irrelevant of what anybody expects of you, either above or below, because you're just so driven on your own standards and your own inner battle. Um, but yeah, but how good
4: how good does it feel when you when you time those sales perfectly, and the ball goes goes straight through? I, I've only got crazy golf as any <laughs> sort of reference point here. <laughs> I can't. I don't think I've ever played a proper round of golf in my life.
0: You would, you would have a, Do you know what? If you, it's one of them things. If you had a, if you won, if you won the um the Euro Millions and you had eighty million in the bank and you got a big house, you know, swimming pool, uh, it would be in which order. Would it be swimming pool first or like the best crazy golf <laughs> course you could ever imagine? It would be a close call. It'd just be like I'll build them both at the same time so I can have a go at both of them. But yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, just quickly, but going, going as we're talking about golf, can we just talk about Jean Vanderbilt?
0: Absolutely. That was the segue in. We got carried and there, away,
1: didn't we? <laughs> and I know sort of a bit of the background of the story of that. I mean, he played an Immaculate three you know, three rounds, and his last round was also Immaculate. And he'd been aggressive all the time. He'd been playing with the driver, whereas the others had been a bit more um, cautious. So, I mean, the, the, so he'd been playing with the driver all the time and been working for him. So why he gets to the 18th? Why wouldn't it work for him then? Um, so to actually it would have been totally wrong for him to play cautiously and to take out, say, a, a seven iron or a, a, a five iron just to make sure it got on the fairway because there was no guarantee that that would have happened anyway and he'd been playing well with his driver all the time. And just these things happen, you know. He's just, uh, just in a, a slight adrenaline rush, slight mistiming, and he smashes it out to the right, but he's still got an opportunity to get on the green. And actually, the, the, uh, the shot, he would have played that shot probably... 95% of the time and got on the green. Just this one time he didn't and he went into some deep grass. You know, so everything that could go wrong in that particular hole just went wrong and, and it's just unfortunate. So I don't think he actually did anything wrong. Um, and, and I think he admits that, doesn't he? He's, he's, he replays it. And say, so, well, actually, it, you know, these things happen, shit happens. It's, it's not a case of me making bad choices or doing something wrong. I don't think he could have done anything else in all honesty, I, I thought the way guys, I believe. thought the way
4: he handled it in the moment of defeat was incredible when he when he was being interviewed literally straight afterwards and he was like can I can I go play that again <laughs> just yes, like, right.
1: I mean so 9 times out of 10 95% 95 times out of 100 it, that just wouldn't have happened it was just one of those one of those things in golf you know And the best golfers they play the shot and that's it finished they move on to the next shot you know, you can't do, you can't control what has happened. It's rear view mirror stuff, it's happened. We just move on and take that shot one, one stage at a time. And it just so happened it was a disaster. That could have happened in, in any of the holes of the 72 holes he's played. Don't you think he did incredibly well to hold that put, though, that
2: 10 foot put to go into a playoff?
1: Incredible. But I think by that time, his adrenaline had absolutely just gone, hadn't he been, exa- it would just be exhausted. <laughs> That stage. Um, but you're right, Dean. Actually, I, 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 I've forgotten about that. But absolutely, the nerves are steel
0: to do yeah.
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, do you reckon that that loss, then, and and in, in the way in the circumstances it happened, do you think that had an impact on the rest of his career? Never winning the major, never getting close ever, ever after that.
1: I think person. He wasn't the, the greatest golfer, and I think it's just that he just turned up at the Open Championship and just did everything right. Like there's been lots of occasions where golfers have done that and and they've won and they've never won another major or never appeared again it was just some sometimes there's something about the open championship that just occasionally lets a player in to do that sort of thing um I don't think that affected his career no
0: it, I mean you're... i did I did take a look just a bit of insight here I did a bit of research and he is his current net worth is four million dollars so He's he's not done too bad no. out
1: of things, um, and he but Rory did... wins that in one tournament.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there is that, isn't it? But but Rory still won't be. i um, like I said, I'm sure Rory will. will be. He's at such a high level. He's still not happy. He's still he'll he'll be wanting to do that little bit more constantly. And I I fan out with golf. And um, he what did he pick up? I, I took a look. He picked up three hundred and five thousand dollars for his second place. In that tournament so which is interesting because you can look at that and go yeah but he still picked up $305,000 and if but if you're not a sportsman um uh, you know that's pretty easy to look at but if you are it's almost irrelevant of that amount of money because he's you know that, that money's come and gone whereas that memory is still always there and you guys switch on if he'd have played that safely and failed as he did um and not won as he did how difficult would that be to to deal with long term you know, the, the fact that he should have, if he'd have, if he'd have changed his play and, and played safe and it hadn't worked out. I mean, imagine trying to live with that. You'd be like, why did I change?
1: Exactly, but that's the mm. whole
0: point, isn't it? Because
1: mm. if he'd played safe for the other 71 holes that he'd already played, he wouldn't have been in that position. He yeah, like, took it on and played aggressively, that he put himself in the, in the position of being three shots ahead of everybody else going down the 18th. And it was just unfortunate that, his drive was way right, and he just landed in the deep rough and went in the water. And I mean, he, he got in the water, didn't he? He rolled his shoes, took his shoes and socks off, I mean, and was going to play out the water. I mean, that that if he'd done that, I'd have punched him myself because that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but then he had to take it out of the water and drop it back in the rough, you know. So it was all really just bad luck.
4: But even so, to the point where the the guy who was playing the same round at the same time. To do him a favour, says I'll get out your way, and he goes and holds it from yeah. the bunker, do
1: not he? Does exactly yeah. what. Yeah. what, what John to head do. head.
4: How yeah. much pressure do you want to
1: put? <laughs> yeah, quite. And then the, the, you know the guy said, you know, it could be worse. You could wait; the
0: tide will go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was <laughs> so the I photograph that with that his yeah, where he had a big smile on his face, yeah. looking at what a lovely photograph that was um, yeah. under those under those
1: circumstances. But to finish, you know, to finish. As he did, and and he still, everybody knows him. Everybody talks about that, and yeah, but yet yeah, he's come out a bigger man, and and doing all the coaching, and you know, it's, it's, he's he's found his calling, hasn't he? And and probably because of that, he's a, probably a happier happier man. I mean, I don't know, I don't know him, but I suspect because he, he he looked like that at the end, didn't he? And the fact that he could actually go on to this program called Losers and just talk about that,
2: yeah, here's a
1: question.
2: Here's a question for you guys then. So you talked about Rory and you're saying that, you know, he's at that stage now, but he still ain't gonna be happy. And so that's that, that's something that I've always been struggling with, being content, the feeling of being content. I look at other people and where they when they're content, I kind of look at them with a little bit of jealousy sometimes because I think, do you know what? I I'm I'm never, I don't think I'll ever be content, but I love the fact I'm never content because that gives me drive in the morning, it gives me I want to get up, I want to get up early, I want to get stuff done because I, I want to get to the next goal and next goal and next goal but I look at other people and I just think what it must be quite a blissful feeling to, to actually have that feeling of contentment. this. And I wonder
0: if you, how you guys feel, do you, do you guys ever get feeling, feeling of content? I'd love to go on this one if that's, cause I, I know I had a, I had a light bulb moment on this years ago. And one of, one of my favorite things It would, no, not one of my favorite thing in the world is traveling and meeting people around the world and being in different cultures and experiences. And, um, and I was on a big round the world trip in 2006 and it was that trip that there was a moment and I and I realized that I was I was experiencing, something i can't remember the, the exact moment i was in but i was experiencing something was it lsd re- james it was probably <laughs> yeah one of one of one, one of one of many lsd moments no, not quite but, well, I, but I,
1: found
0: my, I found myself in a moment that i realized was one of those moments that i was guaranteed to look back on wishing i was there and i realized i was in it at that moment in time and it was a light bulb moment because what I, what I from that moment on, I made a point of trying to realize those moments. Yeah. And once I realized those moments in life, if I'm on a, you know, on a boat, like swam with 200 dolphins in New Zealand, like two to 300 wild dolphins in New Zealand, and you don't let that pass you by and you can't, you know, so you like try and be in that moment and mindful because you are gonna look back for the rest of your life with a smile and wish, either wish you were back there or that knowing how impactful it was so I, I, I'm a firm believer if you can identify those moments at the time it for me it changes things completely because everything then around you the smells the tastes you know putting you're not trying to think about anything else because you realize you're in that moment and I think that's that's really that's really key because we can be, we can all be guilty in life in business of letting those moments pass us by and you get home and someone says oh how was that how was football or how was it when you met up with with your mate for a coffee and it isn't until that moment that you realize how good it was and i think that's such it's such a shame and we're all guilty of it but i think we can all play a part in 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 allowing ourselves to have less of those moments pass us by by being present in those moments in life and business or whatever it is and again you guys with with families i'm sure you can probably vouch more than me in those as, as they're, you know, they're val- rare and valuable times. So that's my take on that is that awareness and you're not, we can be always too busy, but if you're able to grab hold of that and realize it for what it, what it is looking forward. I mean, that's just, it's, that was a game changer for me. So. Yeah, yeah. I think this
4: I think there's something in this, I isn't think. there?
0: Like linking it back to the TV show, Obviously it's
4: the transition from something negative to something positive. And so in, uh, you know if you're if you're in a job and then you go traveling around the world and then you've got this negative to 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 positive transition but you've got to look at the amount of time as well between the two emotions i mean this this show these are people reflecting back 20 30 years and they've got the they've got the benefit of time to be able to to frame it to to the point where they can go on an, on an international tv show and, talk, and and put a positive spin on it If you get someone doing these sorts of moments this season in football or last season in American football or whatever, you aren't going to get them talking about it most likely like right now. So going back to what Dean says about contentment, if you're if you've got multiple positive moments and you haven't got a negative reference point, then you are probably going to naturally become almost complacent because you haven't got the other reference point to give you the contentment. Mm. And then when you play it out over time, you, and as as, uh, as James says, if you can get that so that you can actually reference that in the moment, the shortest possible space of time, then uh, you've, you've won, haven't you?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But it's, I, I mean, that's a hell of a skill.
1: I, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's really, I mean, we're not, none of us are psychiatrists. And I, and I guess if we did have a psychiatrist, it, it would take years to pick us all um, on this panel in particular. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think I think from my perspective, I mean, to the great comments from Dean and, uh, and James, but I think I try and enjoy the journey. You know, the, you we're going from A to B, wherever that B is or whether the A, whatever the A was, uh, where you've just got to enjoy the journey. And as Phil says, it's absolutely right. Sometimes you've got to experience pain to realise what it's like to not feel pain. Um, you know what I mean so that's my that's my deepness for the day
2: (laughs) you're on the you're on the journey a lot longer than you are on the on the actual standing there, achieving the goal. So I, I feel like you've got to enjoy a journey, otherwise you're not, you're not gonna enjoy life, it's gonna pass you by. Absolutely. And so the, the journey always and the process takes a lot longer than the goal itself, when you stood there for a minute, looking back at what you achieved. So I, I think it's paramount to, to really appreciate the moments. Looking from a personal point of view, looking back from um, when, when I had that Lazo restaurant, it was 18 months of hell. It really was the worst time my life um, I thought the well was against me. I loved being in my bed at nighttime because nobody could get me. There's nobody who could ring up for an invoice or anything. And I, I felt protected. As soon as the alarm, alarm clock went off, it was like, oh no, here we go again. But looking back, I learned so much about myself. I would never, I wanted to be on this panel. There's absolutely no chance I'd be here right now if it wasn't for that journey. And so good and bad things happens to us every single day of a week. But the problem is, we don't, at the time, we don't know which is which. So we don't know, a, a bad thing could be ultimately a good thing and a good thing could ultimately be a bad thing. And so as long as we're mindful of that, every single time we have um, a setback, just think it could be the best thing that has that's ever happened to us.
1: Yeah, I mean, that Ali, moving on to the episode about mm-hmm. Ali Zirkle, I think that's very poignant because she was lost, wasn't she, when she was in they'd moved around in America and then she saw this advert for Alaska and he thought
0: why study in downtown Philly when you yeah. could be studying in Alaska and she went like, to Alaska Man. and
1: that was it and her life took off I mean she had <laughs> hundreds of dogs just a few more than you've got James but you can always catch
2: up
1: if you want um so I'm just moving out the light and um it's like the light has been shining through here um <laughs> but I thought it's really interesting how she Dedicated her life to that, and she took on the toughest, toughest, toughest challenge. You know, not expected as a female, no one expected to do well. Because, but the actual moral of that story wasn't anything about the the, the 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 dog sledding as such, was it? Really, it was about which that episode where literally someone tried to murder her, which
0: was so that really, came out of that. L- literally, well, like the murderer himself, literally came out of nowhere. That yeah, that you nowhere. Just, wasn't expecting that at all. You yeah. thought that, that one of her, that she was going to fall off the side of that cliff or it was kind of leading towards that. And then, yeah, that the guy on the skidoo came out of nowhere and tried to murder her. And then also...
1: That was very odd, that, wasn't it? And then I guess the story unfolded where she got the confidence back to do it again. And I guess that was her nirvana and she, she understood herself more because she, she had stared death in the face, mm-hmm. which is probably good. Yeah. I found on a what I've said earlier, you've got to feel pain to realize what it's not like to feel pain. Mm-hmm. I was
3: sorry, I didn't mean to button. then. I was yeah. i was going to find a lot of similarities between Ali and the Mauro with the Marathon Disab guys. Because when I was following those two stories, I almost found that the actual event was inconsequential, it's almost like they were looking for something, and the event itself was just part of their own inner journey, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Because they both seem to really go for a lot of solitude. I know Ali had a real close connection with her dogs but she didn't seem to have very close connections with people I know she was married but you didn't see much of her husband in 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 the show or the conversation and there was definitely that thing with Mauro like the marathon disarms. how lonely can you get like you know not just geographically but in your own head like you're just completely on your own and I found there was a massive crossover between those two where they were kind of looking for something and the result wasn't really a matter to them you know the, the whole winning and the losing thing per se but they were so absorbed in it and so committed to that path that there was something going on there. And It's almost like another show. I I was trying to work it in my head. What is it they're chasing? What is it they're after? And I I couldn't work that out
1: in my own head. Well, they probably can't themselves, can they? That's why they keep doing it. That's why they keep doing it, yeah.
0: I'm glad you brought those those two episodes together because my question, I I was putting a question to all of you guys, was you've got a year to train. Do you uh choose the uh, dog dog musher route or do you hit the moroccan run the the desert run what would you what would you choose and why isn't that um, isn't that a bit of a mind like, i was, yeah, I was thinking of that question and i was just like jesus well i i think yeah. i'd do that one but oh and then i'm flip, flipping between the two which one would you a year to train and then you you've got a you've got to choose one of them marathon I don't like cold. Interesting. That's it. Just yeah, don't like the cold. I'll do that one. Then then I have to yeah crack on.
4: Can I not take curling? Can I not try and learn curling?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but Phil, we've we've just we've we've uh, we've got clear that you you can't pull you can't pull in it anymore. So you haven't got the sex appeal. You can't you can't have any booze or cigarettes, and um and you've got to be a properly trained athlete. You know the beer bellies, the dad bods aren't allowed. So yeah, I I'll I mean, take the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Deans, what about you t- what about you two guys? What what would you head towards, do you think?
2: What what a choice that is. That is absolutely <laughs> horrendous. Um I'd pro- I, I, I don't like the cold either. So <laughs> I don't even like it outside now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd probably do the marathon.
3: Oh wow. I, I did actually consider the marathon disablers once, but I was a lot lighter then and a, a lot younger, more hair. Um but now looking back on it, I'll do the Alaska trip. Because yeah. as much as I don't like the cold, like having like done you know lots of trekking in Three Peaks and a lot of TA courses, it's like when you're cold you can warm up, but when you are hot, you can't just cool down. So I think given the choice, I'd, I'd, I'd start cold and warm up.
0: Interesting. I mean, you can can you imagine where your mind would be at at points in those two events? Uh, that's just beyond beyond where you've ever been in ways that you wouldn't want to <laughs> want to be thinking and feeling what about you James I'm like I hate the cold hence living in a warm country I think I'm because t- you've got the sl- like you can't you can't get away from the fact that you're on a sledge pulled by a load of dogs. I mean that just sounds amazing to me. But you're not going on a holiday to see Santa Claus in Greenland. Are you? It's a very different <laughs> prospect. So you're like so you're naturally that like going that'd be real fun. And then you look when she came in and you looked at her, and she's hardcore clearly and used to it. And when the point and you saw her face and it was all frozen up and stuff, and you're like, no, where would I want to entertain that? And the storm that came in. So then you go. Actually, yeah, I'd probably avoid that. But yeah, I'm. I can't. I think I'm good with the heat. I can't get enough of it. So although it'd be horrible, but then you've got the sand dunes. I did. I remember I was in. I did. I did sandboarding in Morocco, and because I, I was in pretty decent nick, I was pretty fit. So I'd like get the. I'd go get the surfboard thing up for some of the the ladies and do the the gentlemanly thing. Once you've done it two or three times up small dunes, you like legs are on fire. So I, I was watching that, just thinking, how on earth. Do they, do they do that it's just like so I'd have to go for yeah same temperature wise I'd probably do the desert but I'd be I'd be wanting to kill myself on a, every every other second just like you know, I can't even I don't even want to put myself there and think about it too much just that I've run 10ks and a half marathons in in nice conditions and how, the, the the thoughts that have gone through my head aren't worth that worth sharing so yeah that would be that would be horrible but but I like, I'm curious, guys. We've 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 kind of we've covered a load of stuff with the the series, and we've delved into some some personal elements with that. What um when it comes to some is and if if that's either personally or professionally, so in business, in sport, in in life, have you guys got any um any examples? I mean, I'm even curious with this. What what still sticks from school? You know, is there anything from school? that stick, you know, that you might have done and not quite won or that it dro- drove you through and, and still drives you in adult life or, you know, or, but but likewise, any examples in business and personal life as, as an adult? Are there any, when you're watching this or you knew we were coming on today's show uh, as a collective, was there anything that, that you, you looked back on that stood out from a personal experience?
2: Yeah, I, I suppose I'll take this one then because um, I, I there's, there's a lot about... Uh, uh, Jack Ryan, uh, Black Jack, that I can I can relate to because I, I certainly have got that in me where I didn't like authority, I didn't like people telling me what to do. I was more of a street footballer in terms of with a tennis ball and a small ball. And as soon as you put me in that role and position where I had to deal with referees, coaches, tactics, I was I was never ever as as good. And I can. Do you know what? I can almost see my son in him a lot in terms of the, the talent he's got, where he's having a kick around with his friends. He stands out. But then when you put him in an environment where he's got rules, he's got a referee, he's got the coach, he's got a stick in a position. Then it's almost everything's drained out of him. All his natural ability is gone, um, and he, he fits in normally, but he, he doesn't in any way, shape, or form stand out. And so, I, I personally could can see a lot of myself in Jack Ryan. I remember um, when I when I broke up with an, an ex girlfriend who was engaged, and I, I I used to go out all the time. I was literally Jack Ryan for a little bit, and so I can I can relate. To him, quite quite a lot, but I got I luckily got out of that spiral before it went too far. But in terms of sport, in terms of his actions, I, I could certainly see a lot of myself in him. And I don't like admitting it,
0: but yeah, true be all. I can I can see a lot of what he did as what I was like as well. Wait, I'm curious, Dean, because you've got that you've got that insight now, which um, which is incredible from where you were at, and you see that with your son. What's your thoughts on managing that, or 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 making sure that he works, he gets the best out of himself, and doesn't struggle maybe in the same ways that you did with your with your support and insight? Have you thought about that? How how are you managing that?
2: Yeah, massively. I, I thought about that loads. Yeah, and for me it's all about encouragement and making sure he enjoys it. And I've, I've listened to what Jamie Carragher said about when his dad, I mean, I I listened to all the sporting greats of, of what the dad was like and how the dad was with them. And, that's just not in me. I, I, I can't. I can't be the tough love like that. Where Jamie Carragher said that his dad, he was some days he was crying because it was so cold and wet and miserable. And he used to make him wear short sleeves, t-shirts, and go out there. And you know he would never give him any love or anything about about the match. In fact, he would never say anything kind. What he did, he would only say. He would only highlight the negative things uh, that he did. And so many footballers have been in that position. And so for me, I just want to make sure that. There's no pressure. It's enjoyment. I don't expect anything of him, and I just keep saying, it. It I, "I love you." I'm very proud of you, not for your achievements, because but but who you are, because your achievements. Um, I don't want him to relate his achievements with my love, because it's for me. It's all about him being a great person, a nice person. And so it's an enjoyment, making sure that he knows uh, that he's loved, respected, no, no matter what he does. But it's a very, very hard, I don't think anybody's going to get it right. And I can't remember a podcast I was listening to, somebody said that um, it doesn't matter what you do or how educated you are, in some way, shape or form, you are going to negatively impact your kids and there's nothing you can do. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that, <laughs> bloody hell, no <laughs> chance.
0: But I, th- I think there's an element of truth to it. I love that. That's amazing insight. It's almost like damage limitation, isn't it? That you're never gonna, you're not, you're not always gonna get it right. And maybe more often than not, you and you hear about periods of, of children's lives where parents just get everything wrong because of the child, because they're going through this phase of of finding out who they are and what they want to do. Um, but that, that was that was amazing. I'm so pleased to ask that question based on your on your your previous answer, because that's that's really inspiring, Dean. Really Yeah, just inspiring.
4: on that, it's on that, Dean. It was um so. With Oakley being six years old, sort of similar, similar with your boys, um, they usually stop playing football November, December, January and start again, so they miss the, the coldest part of the year because of their age. Obviously, going through a lockdown, the season's been messed up, so they're actually playing in December. And so just before Christmas, one Sunday morning, we are up at the pitch, which, which is high up, open field, and it, and it started to rain. And then and then the and the wind picked up. And there were these these little six-year-olds on the pitch. And one by one, you saw each one of them break. And and like what you've just said, you know, if if Jamie Carrigan was one of those lads and, it, and his dad was there, obviously he would have reacted in a particular way. And each you could see each one of us parents, we all responded differently according to like who we are and, and how we sort of like see see parenting. Like, you know, some 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 kids were just getting right, you don't need to play. Some kids were like, "Right, no, you're back on. You're playing," you know. Was, and someone was like, "Come on, we can do this. Let's do a little bit more. Then take a little bit." And you know, and everyone did respond differently. And you don't know who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to play out. You just got to sort of like go with what you believe at that time. But yeah, you can- you're abs- you're absolutely right.
2: The, the best way I deal with that is uh, now my, uh, Zach comes up to me when it's raining in the morning and goes, dad, dad, it's raining. And he's really, really happy when it's raining on a Sunday because I tell him that's where you've got the advantage. That's where I had an advantage in Sunday league football because when it was raining, wet, cold, miserable, soggy pitch, that's where I knew that I had the beating of everybody else because I used to roll my sleeves up and I, I wanted it more. And I said to, I said to him, that's, that's our advent, advantage. That's our competitive advantage because you you know that Everybody else will be feeling like you feel, but you've got an advantage because you know that. And so when it's raining, you can use that to your advantage, knowing full well that every other person on that pitch doesn't want to be there, is feeling cold, isn't going to be as as aggressive to want the ball, isn't going to try as hard, and it's your opportunity. If you just try just that little bit, more than the next person or just even even if you just don't try any harder than normal just try your normal give your normal effort you will be head and shoulders above every single person that pitch and it's really good that's uh, that switch of mindset because now when it's raining on a sunday morning he actually comes down to me and says dad dad it's raining it's raining and i i, I just that uh, just that one thing has changed the way he processes the fact it's wet and cold out there that's
4: i've incredible. written that down i'm having that yeah. <laughs> 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 Might drop, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant,
0: mate. Love that. Has anybody got any other examples from uh, either from from childhood or as an adult, personally, professionally?
1: <clears throat> I was, yeah, yeah I, was in that, I used to play a lot of rugby at um, at school, and um, we were we, we we were sort of like the out of the group that we played with the, the other teams. We were second best always to this one team, uh, and it carried on through the years because obviously they grew up through the years, and we followed. We followed in the same year, and, and then just one chance in this sevens competition, we got them to the final, and there was like thirty seconds to go, and we equalised. So it was eight all, and we had to take um, a kick to to to, um, to to convert, and we would have won the match. And out of the seven of us, none of us were kickers. So the the prop forward, I remember it like said, "Oh fuck it, I'm going to take it." Sorry for the swearing. And he, just <laughs> won it. and he just booted it over the bar and we won. And the whole school was watching. And it's the only time that this team ever lost in five years. And the, the feeling was quite amazing. <laughs> so I'll never forget that.
0: Love that. Dean Grimshaw?
3: Yeah, no, hearing you guys talking about your boys, like... My biggest regret was always I, I used to play a lot of football as a teenager and we had quite a good little team with won a lot of trophies. And I had that relationship with my dad. My dad loved me very much, so it certainly wasn't like the Michael Bent story. But he was always, it dissect the game in the evenings. So you play for an hour and then dissect it for 10 hours. And <laughs> it, used to, it used to really, like, it used to bring me to tears, to the point that I think when I got to about 15 or 16, I just stopped playing. Right. And... I think that's why I really loved the, the Surya story, because she had the strength to carry on going. And there was a bit in me, and I was watching it thinking, at the time, I didn't have the strength to carry on going. I, I really wanted to. Every week, I'd miss the game. I'd be sad that I weren't playing, but I just couldn't put up with going through it. And now it makes me think a lot more about like, my children. Like, my, my dad was trying to do the best for me because he thought that was what motivated me. He thought, you know, if I, if I get, spur you on here, if I pick out your weaknesses, you'll improve. You'll, you know, you get the desire... And he wanted all the right things, but he did it in a way that I ended up just stopping. And I went into rugby and he came to my first rugby match, didn't understand the rules and never came to a second. And I thought, right, that's it. Rugby is <laughs> rugby, now my game, you know. And at that point, I, I had all the, the the angst of, you know, teenage angst. And I was I, it was like a channel for my aggression, if you know what I mean. But I always really missed playing football, which, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I would have been like Ballon d'Or or or anything like that, because that probably wouldn't be true. But I was a good little player, you know, and I was was doing these things. And it took me a lot of time through my 20s to sort of rebuild that courage and and find out who I am, which is where I got into the coaching. You know, I got back to sort of where I am today. And then I look back on it a lot differently now. But that's where I sort of, um, I I saw a lot of power in Syria. You know, she was that strong Mm. with all that resistance and all that was against her. She didn't stop playing she didn't stop doing the thing that she loved, which was the mistake that I did. And, you know, and I look back on it, I definitely look back on it very differently now when I've got children and they're growing up and I'm looking at sort of them coming through.
0: She was super... There was a reason why she was at the top of her game. And, yes, she had the ability, um, but she was clearly strong, wasn't she? And even a, like a mother. It was an interesting relationship with... You, you spoke about parenting here either you guys being parents or being parented or a bit of both and her mother was interesting in in her episode wasn't she you you kind of wondered how 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 much of a, a benefit in posi- itself, really yeah that was interesting that was an interesting dynamic there uh, and the relationship that then her mum with the coaches um was at play but it makes
3: you think of the point that dean made you know like i don't know figure skating enough to know if she really did deserve to win that time I don't know I don't know if the performance was really there but mm-hmm. you do have to question well if she had kept with a proper coach or a professional coach or someone who really understood the sport would they have worked with her more and, and basically given her the opportunity to be more successful by you know like showing her the right way maybe maybe we don't know like we're surmising here but maybe her mother was a big part of you know you keep doing it your way stick two fingers up to the establishment like maybe that was a, a, a factor in it I don't know. hmm
1: yeah. Don't know. Phil?
4: Well, just on that, it was interesting how um, how her mum changed as well, wasn't it? Because she started off being very carefree, travelling around Europe, ends up in India. So has has one outlook on life and presumably on parenting and things and knew that she wanted to adopt. And then, what, 15 years later and onwards... A change a bit there was a big change in 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 her as a person it it looked so I wonder how that I wonder where that came from and how and how that played out but I agree I think if I think if coaches had been more involved then maybe the establishment would have been more welcoming as well so
0: yeah there's so many dynamics in that episode wasn't there so many dynamics at, at, at play um and it was great on her episode what she's doing now, you know, traveling the world and being an inspiration and being a coach. And it ended up she uh, it was funny because we've we've essentially got two episodes that ended up in Harlem with positive stories in Harlem. Mm. Um, which uh, uh, that was that was really a really nice ending to that, and you could see the the impact that that, that she had on on that group of uh, of young young women in Harlem there. But Phil, what's your um what's, what's your your take your personal um, input in terms of uh, any kind of trials and tribulations, any any stories of losses. And I, that...
4: I think the uh, the one that jumps to mind in, in uh, as we're discussing it is um, I, when I was first building uh, what was mainframe. It changed changed its name and everything now. But when when we first set up the company and started growing it, we got to about five people, which was a decent size. We're we're a decent size office uh, in our industry. And within the space of about six weeks, we lost the manager uh, and the two seniors. And the manager post- poached one of the seniors, which left me with an apprentice. Um, and that, that obviously, that meant that we, we had less than 40% of our capacity within, within six weeks. And I think I was, I was, I was very angry and, and bitter and really felt that. And, and, I, and I, felt like I, I felt like I'd really, really lost out. But it was 2007, it was right at the end of 2007. And then in 2008, um, obviously, we, we hit the recession, we hit the crisis. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what had happened there is in order to still achieve like our 100% order book, because we were super busy, but with only 40% of the capacity, we'd found a way of working, which was it was streamlined, it was automated, there was there was Perfect harmony between me and and Al, who was who was the apprentice coming up, and so we were able to achieve two or three times what we previously were doing as two people, and and we sailed through the recession and came out the other side in just such a really good structure and such a really good really good place, and um and I think that that swing for it, it's like Dean said, you know good things and bad things happen to us but at the time we we don't know which label to give something and um and at the time i mean i was really angry with the people that left you know quite childishly um and i I was angry with the situation and i really felt like we were suffering but now and it's taken a while obviously i can look back and frame that as such a positive a positive thing to happen um, to me, to Al, to the business, and and how and and how we then move forward. So, so yeah, that 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 sort of jump jumps out at me. Um, I've always been rubbish at football. I don't get any good or bad stories at football. football. <laughs> I don't think I don't think coaching or parenting will make any difference to, to me. I was just, how about you, James?
0: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a like a, a solo story that sprung up, and a, and a team. on I'll, I'll quick on the solo one was I was always the second best at 400 meters in my secondary school, and the problem was it was always a different person that beat me every year in sports day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the the first the first year, I, sh- I probably my best chance of winning it. And I'm not going to be too graphic here, but there's a bit of a fun story. Let's say after that, let's say after that race, any in any sporting activity. I then wore cycling shorts because it was a it was a little my first curve. I was a little bit distracted. Cause you know the old boxer shorts your mum used to buy you that were we were, weren't really, you know. So that kind of was at fault for my first first loss, like being distracted. And then and then I always seemed to lose out uh, come coming second place by different people. Um so never won that. But then it was on the sports day that we were, our, our um, former lacking a long jumper. And I was just like, I, I think I was able to do it. And I ended up winning it and getting the best thing and results. So I ended up going on stage for a, a, a long jump, being the best at long jump randomly. When I, every year I was like training for the 400 meters and getting beaten by someone different. But um, the team one, the, the one that, that stood out was Beverly, uh, so the town I'm from. Used to have a five-a-side football tournament every summer, forty-plus teams, and um, and I, I I used to play for a city team. So I even though I was a town boy, I used to go and play for a team in the city. And um, so when this tournament came up, I'd always find myself being drafted into other teams that were like makeshift or or were you know we're all right, but weren't so good, didn't click. And so there was always these really great teams. And I just wanted to win it so bad. Wanted to win it so bad in my town, playing football. And then um, I think I strove for that for seven years. And then I brought my team that I was managing. I ended up managing my, my team player manager. And we brought two five-a-side football teams, me and my co-player co- um, manager, um, then managed each one of them. And we the first year we got to the final, letting one goal in, got to penalties, and, um, and we lost on penalties. And I thought that was my year and um, and the next year we came and did it and um, and we didn't let a, we didn't let a single goal in all tournament and um, and we won the final 2-0 scored in the final and that feeling of elation of all of that hard work over the years and it and it not working out um, was purely incredible and the thing that stood out for that was not only, I mean, I did sleep with a trophy. I've got to admit, I slept with the trophy that night. <laughs> that was, I took that home and slept with it after having a few beers. <laughs> but the one thing that stood out from that was we were on fire and we just knew, we just knew how to play. We were such a good team as a collective. But one one thing that stood out was another team, and I'd been—it was so out of reach. This and losing every end, often not getting out the group stages, and we bossed it for two years, and winning on the, on that second year. And one one of the other teams, they as he congratulated us, he didn't even ask the question. He just took it that we'd been training so hard and specifically for that tournament because we were that good. And when he said that, it really hit home you know, and I spoke then about being in the moment and being aware and when you're in it and that awareness and, and really appreciating it and it wasn't until, I mean, it was elation of victory and all of the struggle but when somebody looked at us as a team and a collective um, and and just took it that we we trained harder than everybody else not because we were at such a level that we didn't essentially realise we were at, that hit home. So yeah, there was a that was that was that was uh that was yeah, just awesome. Um and I speak with the players now and they all say that was the best best ever football moment. So it was just a real problem of that. So every year, and never thinking it would happen, but yeah, Lation. So um cycling shorts and sleeping with football trophies, that's probably the takeaway for you guys and our audience from 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 this episode. But two <laughs> images that we didn't want <laughs> yeah that you didn't want but we'll uh will we'll, i'll try and get some photographs as well to, to put up on the uh on the post edit but um gentlemen we've, we're gonna have to wrap it up once again that's just been awesome love love the fact that we go away and we watch a series and we're all kind of our table and 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 as a form of discussion and um and it's awesome and, it, and it's so inspiring and actually it, it's i'm sure we can all um relate how we're having conversations in our family dynamics or with friends by this process. It's so, you know, before, and as we are now, and then afterwards as well, talking about it when people are inboxing and commenting on the episode. And so it's so great that we come together as a, as a collective, Um, where can people find you? So if we can direct people towards yourselves and what you do and how you do it.
2: Mm -mm. Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Dean Booty, simple as that. And uh,
0: yeah, look me up. Same awesome. with me, LinkedIn, Jonathan Leaf, Mr. Grimshaw. Dean Grimshaw's got his own web domain. Dean, Is it deangrimshaw.com? Are we, it is,
3: is. A, I didn't even have to say it. There, there we go. Is, is, <laughs> I'm what very envious. Is
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And F- Phil and I are at hello at wearepink.com, pink, we pink with a Q. Um, Phil, thanks again, mate. It's always great. Rubbing shoulders with yourself, and uh, and w- as we message each other as we're getting through these series and um, seeing how we're we're finding them. And uh, gentlemen, we'll look forward to the next one. We are um, we are driven to be doing uh, recording one of these at the end of every month. Um, and I'm just excited to to uh, to know what the next series is that we we explore, or even if it's a one episode, like if it's a one episode um, um, subject that we we drill down on rather than a series. I think there's there's loads of of ways we can approach this but thanks again for your time i know your time's uh, massively uh, valuable so i appreciate you giving it here today for not only for for us as a collective but our viewers and listeners as well so wish you a good day and i look forward to our next uh, our next episode together gents yeah
3: thanks james thanks
4: thanks
0: guys
3: thanks guys
4: take
0: care good day, gentlemen bye-bye Thank you so much for joining us on the Business Lockdown. Please comment, like, share and subscribe to help build our global community. We look forward to seeing you all soon.